0: Welcome to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Osama Hashmi. He's the founder of Mocha 7. This is Technotopia. Are you hiring? Are you posting your position on job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? This episode of Technotopia is sponsored by Zip Recruiter, and they knew there was a smarter way. So they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never, ever miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. It is free if you go to ZipRecruiter.com techno. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash techno. ZipRecruiter.com slash techno. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Osama Hashmi. He's founder of Mocha 7. It's a consultancy out in Seattle. Welcome
1: to the show, Osama. Yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for having me here, John. Uh, it's nice to be on the show and nice to actually meet you. I've been a big fan of your work for a while. Oh, super. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So what do you guys do at Mocha 7? I guess you're you uh, you have a little. You're doing a little bit of everything, right?
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's nice to be in the right place at the right time. Um, so we are a product innovation studio. Uh, we've been around for about 10 years. Uh, we're based in Seattle, Washington and Austin, Texas. So we focus on exponential innovation, things like first principles thinking and 10x innovation which is like a KPI driven way of building products that are 10 times better than before. Um, and uh, recently like, we put together, we have internally like some of these techniques that we use and we put together 20 of these techniques into a book and a framework called innovation thinking methods. Um, and very recently we've designed like a eight week startup accelerator program based on innovation thinking that we're now licensing out to different accelerators around the world. So it's, it's 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 you know it's a fun sort of thing gig to do. <laughs> so what is this? Uh,
0: what is innovation thinking? What's the what does that mean?
1: So innovation thinking originally, I, you know, we just had these techniques we'd been using internally on in Mogo Seven, but you can think of it as um, framing it um, as opposed. to, Like people have been comparing it as the opposite or counter argument to lean thinking, uh, but really it's about figuring out how to think non-derivatively, right? Uh, think about products that are non-obvious, so uh-huh. to speak. Because I think the human mind tends to, whenever you say, okay, what's gonna be the next phone? It's like, well, you're gonna think smartphone, right? But how do you think about something which is truly the next thing which is gonna replace smartphones? So uh, there are you know, predictable ways of doing that. And um, if you use the right method at the right time, you can actually help your mind shift towards those types of ideas. So that's what, um, so I think, you know, innovation thinking as a framework complements design thinking, but um, where it's really useful is where your mind is sort of blocked to help you unblock into like bigger sort of bolder transformative blue ocean type of um, idea creation.
0: Why is it so hard for humans to do that kind of work? What's the, uh, what's, what's the, what are some of the blocks to innovation that you see?
1: I mean, I think it's hard actually. that's maybe the um argument of the book is anyone can do this um It's just that we tend to focus on the wrong questions right somehow you know the um the human mind like thinks from a reference of whatever exists to to have it reshift into thinking about what doesn't exist takes a little bit of effort. so I'll give you a couple examples like recently, I did a workshop um with this, in, in Sacramento on homelessness. To really think about new solutions to the homelessness problem using innovation thinking so when we started the workshop you know we i asked everybody okay how should we how should we help the homeless and the solutions were the same stuff like you know shelters more blankets more food stuff like that but when you go through the process you get to like first you know let's say you, you go through first principles thinking you go through original intent thinking to really get to the core problem and then when you when we ended up you know we had some really interesting core problems to solve, Um, uh, things like solving invisibility or making them economic contributors and other things. That's one example. Another example is a startup that was mentoring was trying to build a software for screenwriters, right? And they were like, okay, well, there are 35 screenwriting software products in the market and there's a market size, like the total addressable market is like 6 million screenwriters. So their problem was, well, I'm not sure if venture capitalists will be interested in that market size. And I was like, you're asking the wrong question, right? You've got to think about the negative space. Why are there only 6 million screenwriters in the world, right? I'm sure every kid in the world has a story to tell. Why aren't there 300 million screenwriters, right? Why aren't there more movies being made? And if you think about that problem, you can create solutions that are non-obvious because you're not trying to solve, you know, you're not trying to compete or trying to make something better than others, but to make something different than others, right? And a great example of that is Nintendo with the Wii. Uh Um, That's how they solved that problem. You know, they were like, okay, why why isn't everyone playing video games? Instead of just focusing on the 100 million video game market, let's focus on the 1 billion video game market. So it's just things like that, which if you train people on asking the right questions at the right time, can make everybody sort of unblocked towards better solutions coming back three two one
0: all right so the so the answer is that we can't just innovate for the folks that are already innovated for right that's the that's an interesting point uh what are the next technologies that are going to be innovating out of their comfort zones
1: <laughs> that's actually like a bigger question i guess like part of what we do is um innovation strategy work so we have to look ahead about 10 years 20 years right We're right now in the present, like um, deep into this fourth industrial revolution with all of these new technologies like uh, blockchain, robotics, AI, you know, all of these cool things. But I have to start to look ahead a little bit um, for better or for worse. And one of the, I think, like in, uh, so like the larger picture is if you look ahead 20 to 50 years from now, uh, we're going to be talking about. An era where sort of humanity and mankind, I think, rises above the cities into like multiple layers of life, right, in different uh, uh, heights, I guess. So life that would happen at maybe the skyscraper level uh, with flying cars and stuff, and life that would happen at uh, upper atmosphere with cloud cities, life in the lower Earth orbit with space logistics and tourism, and of course is Mars and the Moon, right? So those are exciting uh, trends, And I do think, you know, I guess over the next, broadly speaking, over the next 100 years, that's going to be the big uh, positive shift that we'd see. At the same time, I think from now until maybe 15 years from now, there will also be a lot of big challenges that we'd see. Um, and where, like to answer your question, like where, which technologies will graduate, if you will, to either solve these challenges or enable that next phase. Um, we're going to have to see. It just depends on the innovators, right, coming together at the right time. What's the what's
0: the time frame? What do you what do you expect to see in terms of uh, in terms of improvements for the future?
1: Improvements a little bit hard to tell. I mean, I think I would frame it more from the challenges first, and then we can maybe go from that into possible like improvements, because the challenges will drive the innovation uh, in very particular types of areas. So one of the things is like recently um, I've been touring around the world, um, went through about ten countries. And I was able to see like a lot of patterns uh, for things that we sort of ignore in the news because the news sort of talks about the data points, um, which which allude to some major sort of exponential social impact problems that we might see uh, within the next 12 years, right, around 2030. And this was somewhat uh, affirmed by, uh, there was a world government summit that just happened a couple of months ago. and. The Dubai government just sort of brought a a bunch of world governments together and issued a report called um, The Government in 2071 Handbook. Uh So it was looking at the next 50 years and issues in every sort of decade that the governments should start thinking about today, right? And they also have like a lot of like scary stuff that they described happening around 2030. So let's start maybe from that time frame because that's – if we need to solve some of these problems, that's going to drive a lot of the focus of innovation. And hopefully that will take us to you know, the positive sort of errors afterwards.
0: Okay. So what's the – what are some of the problems? When you did this tour, what are some of the problems that you're seeing that, that are, the, uh, are the big showstoppers, I guess? Do we have, do we have showstoppers? Are we, are we getting better or is it getting worse?
1: Yeah, I guess it was just, um, they're just challenges. And I think one of the big um, problem is that we don't have a name for them Um, in the sense that when we think about social innovation or social impact, um, we think about the traditional stuff, you know, the stuff which is about, okay, well, it's about the poor people over there or the refugees over there or the homeless over there. It's not about us, right? So the first thing I've noticed is there's a bunch of problems that are coming around that's going to affect all of us. Um, And number two... I'm starting to call them either exponential social problems or 12-year problems or something. We need Uh a name for that. But but they're exponential because, A, um, these problems are increasing at an exponential rate uh, from now until the next 12 years. And, B, one of the problems is accelerating the other problem, which is accelerating the third problem. So, they're sort of getting ahead of ourselves in a way. So, uh, let me walk through a few of them. First is... um, um you know this, this this big um well we've seen like a lot of the sh- effects of climate change sort of starting to happen this year right this year we saw huge fires in california and then we saw huge uh, hurricanes and we saw like a huge like bomb cyclones happening in the east coast it's still happening right mm-hmm. um we saw sharks like f- uh wash ashore frozen solid um And we saw like food shortages in Sudan, we're seeing right now in April, South Africa is expected to run out of tap water, Uh, and a bunch of other things happening in Asia. They're all sort of related, right? And they're all in the past year, and they're all sort of exponentially worse than the previous year. So the first set of trends says, okay, well, if it keeps getting exponentially worse, what happens 12 years from now, and that sort of picture is kind of scary. Um, Because this stuff was sort of predicted for 2040-2050 time frame, but now it's getting shorter and shorter. So now it's between 2030 to 2035. So uh, as an example, multiple parts of the Earth might be untenable for life in a way. Like it might be too hot or the, the land is just parched, so it's not producing food anymore. And so what happens like that could create a refugee crisis like we've never seen before, where entire cities and entire countries have decided to move into another country Um, that could create, um, you know, massive food issues uh, that we need to solve now. Like uh, five countries I know of are expected to run out of groundwater in the next five years. Um, which means, and some of them are agricultural producing countries, which mm-hmm. means it affects everybody. Like the whole whole food chain, the whole whole food ecosystem gets affected, right? That's sort of one problem uh, to think about. Let's put a pin on that. Uh, the The other one is really surprising. Is uh, is about food shortage that I predict will happen around 2030 is you have multiple agriculture-focused countries in which winter itself has shifted two months. It happened really subtly. So we didn't realize that winter used to be in November, December in these in these countries, and nowadays it's in January, February. This is happening today, by the way. So the locusts and the bees and the plants are coming out at the wrong time, which means it's affecting the entire food uh, production uh, systems. And these are countries like Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, you know, uh, maybe Bangladesh a little bit. But it's exponential, because there's this whole cascading effect. Because the winter shifted, the food production gets affected. Because of that, you've had some food, uh, for the past two years, you've had these um, farms where the food yield sort of failed. So they had to burn the crops um, in India, um, massive, massive areas. So because of the burning of the crops, all of this sort of smoke rose and passed over coal power plants and settled in multiple cities as toxic smog which was completely like there was a study done on the air quality index of that smog and it was ridiculous <laughs> it's uh-huh. like they were like well if it's above 25 it'll be fatal and this thing was over a thousand so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but so, this has been happening for the... <laughs> yeah so the so the, the podcast is supposed to be about the, the uh the good
0: things about the future so what's the uh yeah, so yeah, yeah. let's let's, let's, get, let's get to that because you're, uh, yeah.
1: you're about to uh, you're about to depress me and i'm the uh,
0: I'm, uh <laughs> sorry the guy.
1: sorry but the point is, like, you know, this 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 type of problem, right, where okay, you have agricultural issues leading to small crises, which could lead to medical issue crises, which could lead to, you know, economic issues because, you know, the services market or the freelance market gets affected. This needs to be solved, but we don't have a name for it. We don't know how to solve it. Right. And I'll get to some of the positives. But I want to point out one other one, which obviously you've heard of and everyone has heard of, which is the 47 percent of the world's population losing their jobs right by 2030. Um, and we've been like, you know, looking at one solution for that, which is universal basic income. But um, more importantly, like I, I wasn't really a believer of that until very recently when I found that it's not just the the truck drivers or the farmers; it's also the freelance market. Right? We had a client come in at Book 7. They're using AI to to replace project managers and software engineers and designers and social media marketers and copywriters, the whole works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And this and their algorithms are getting exponentially worse. So by 2030 or even like less than that, six to eight years, I think the freelancing market in several countries is going to get affected. The low-level sort of freelancing stuff. Uh-huh. So anyway, this is a lot of bunch of like you know depressing things. My uh, focus area recently has certainly become okay, how do we kickstart an innovation ecosystem around this and what are the problems to solve, right? So as an example, like um, and and we can talk about like how to kickstart an ecosystem, but some of the problems that emerge from that are things like how do we uh, produce food uh, without any dependency on the environmental conditions or the land, right? So you've Uh you've seen startups who are doing food uh, shipping container-based farms, right? So a farm inside of a shipping container has its own ecosystem. It doesn't matter where it's it's at. I think that's going to be a hugely positive innovation because when Sudan or someone else has the next food crisis, you could just ship the farm to them instead Uh of food or the same containers later on could be shipped to Mars or anywhere really. Um, the other sort of thing that emerges is if the freelancing market disappears, um, then people are gonna sort of uh, land at different economic levels, right? The, uh, some people will get hit harder than others. So how do we innovate in a way where where anyone at any economic level can still find a way of improving their financial well-being? in a sustainable way, right? And uh, there are ways of doing that, like figuring out, uh, and I'm starting some innovation challenges around this, but if you can solve a way of, you know, let's say the challenge is if someone on the poverty line, can he afford a house to buy in 12 years, right? Mm -hmm. Using cash. Whatever that solution would be, would be a very positive solution for the next 50 years, right? Because that means anyone at any economic level, whenever economies crash, will have a way of getting out of it. That would be a more sustainable solution to uh, other than universal basic income, for example. Um, So uh, another sort of issue is this whole shift in the jobs market between skills-based, from skills-based jobs, which will be automated towards vision creation jobs, right? And how do you then enable in 12 years someone who has, let's say, a kid graduates from college who has zero years of experience, but can that kid have this equivalent problem-solving ability and vision creation ability as someone who has 15 years of experience today. And so whatever the innovator, whoever solves that would mean, like, I don't know how to solve it, but it could mean new curriculums, new ways of uh, teaching people. It could mean brain-to-brain transfer of tacit knowledge and experience, right? Whatever those solutions would be will be very useful for later on Uh in everywhere, like when people go to Mars and they're trying to colonize and live there. Uh, Like, imagine if you could transfer... You could create a neural link, and you could transfer tacit knowledge, experience, learnings uh, that that are very field oriented from one person to another. That would have a huge, huge, transformative effect in like pretty much everything, right? How we train people how we like uh, you know uh, allow people to go to the to, uh, really far away but then transfer knowledge as it happens so so I think there's there's these challenges that are going to drive innovations that are really deep or hard innovations that will then lead to really positive effects for the world in the next eras right that's sort of what I'm thinking about this sort of um, next sort of 12 to 15 years or 20 years
0: okay so so you're so you're, <laughs> you're uh optimistic about this whole
1: operation. <laughs> I don't know, I guess like uh I think the right term would be terrified futurist, but <laughs> terrified <laughs> futurist. Yeah,
0: I mean, so what is what is your life in person? What 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 do you personally feel like uh feel like your life is going to look like in 20 years?
1: You know, the 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 thing that I worry about the most is the kids, right? The next generation they're gonna like a 12-year-old kid today graduating from college is gonna enter into this world where 20% of the coffee production might be gone. Places on Earth will be too hot to live in. People are moving upwards towards the hills. The food shortage. Um, you know, like this is a weird place, right? Uh-huh. And then they don't have jobs. So that's the one that I sort of personally am a little bit like is keeping me up at night. But uh, at night, but um, but I don't know. Like you know, there's a lot of like. Positivity that can come out of, like, if you think about how to solve this from an ecosystem point of view, it's not just, you know, uh, building a new sort of startup innovation ecosystem around this. It's also figuring out new types of startup curriculums and programs, uh, figuring out new types of office spaces to make us optimally productive. But personally, I think, you know, things like blockchain and AI are going to have a big role to play. You know, like we've been thinking of blockchain solutions for like traditional commercial enterprises. But when you actually focus on using AI and blockchain for social impact acceleration, that's a hugely positive thing, right? Um, AI could, for example, be used to, to monitor refugee movements and act as an early warning signal or watchdog for for you know looking at large climate data or, or what's happening to actually predict things a few months in advance, right? Hopefully which it makes a huge difference right we don't want another Rohingya too late with 300,000 people die before we take action we can hopefully predict that in advance so I think, you know, in terms of my personal, I don't know if that's, that doesn't answer the question of my personal life, but I think it's stuff that I look forward to seeing, hopefully emerge out of the innovation ecosystem. Uh, In terms of my personal life, I mean, it just depends, man. It's just, uh, um, uh, there's a lot of like small scale, like innovations and gadgets that come out all the time. I think one of the most personally exciting things is going to be like five G networks and telecom, as well as IoT devices. Like when everything is sensor based in the smart cities, and robots talking to roads, which are talking to homes, that'll be pretty exciting. All right,
0: very cool. All right, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. Let's let's see. We'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. We'll figure out who uh, we'll figure out who survives the uh, the, the coming <laughs> the coming destructive <laughs> events that you're that you're predicting. <laughs> Which is fine. I think. I think occasionally we need a little bit of that. Uh, Osama, where can think, people? You know, uh, yeah, where, where can people find out yeah. about what you're working on? Where's where, what's 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 the book title again?
1: So the existing book was called Innovation Thinking Methods, uh-huh. um, and the next book that I'm trying to draft out is called Heart Centric Innovation. And that's basically uh, for these problems, like how do you build a new startup uh, program uh, that can utilize full mind as well as heart capabilities towards innovation practices. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah, yeah. But John, actually, I wanted to get your thoughts on universal basic income in general. Like, Do you think that's a positive solution to what we're trying or should we try more things?
0: I think uh, universal basic income is going to be the de facto thing. I mean, you're basically just going to pop out of school and have it. Uh, I mean, why not? Essentially, it, we're gonna we're gonna come to a point where we understand that the economy is a an illusion anyway. So, so why <laughs> not create sort of an, a universal based income? Um, it's yeah. for for me in particular. I think that it's the I think it's the only near term solution to a lot of what's what's going to happen. And I agree on that front. But I also think that there's mm-hmm. it's a growing the pie kind of situation where. Where the innovations that are happening right now uh, that we're working on that that I call you you call them heart centric I guess I would call them species mm-hmm. positive uh, species uh-huh. positive innovations would allow for um, drastic improvements in in economies so
1: let's 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 see what happens I guess I guess that's the uh, I guess the answer, the, I, the, I like uh, that term actually species positive yeah, innovations yeah species positive you sure. know, I, I think one of the things with universal basic income um, yeah, yeah, that could work fairly effectively is, is to think of it as a fund for your dreams, right? Because uh-huh. people need like motivation and achievement and stuff like that. So if you could go to that fund and say, I want to do this, and it's funded, but then you achieve it, you know, like there's some sort of level of um, motivation to do something. because Otherwise, the risk of UBI is it doesn't motivate anyone to do anything if you just give them the money, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Otherwise, I think, you know, in general, though I think, you know, we should still try like 30 other pro- solutions to that problem because we can't just bank on one, you know? Yeah. That's my thing. All right.
0: Uh Very cool. Osama, thank you for joining us. Uh Osama yeah. Hashmi, founder of Mocha 7. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy FunCorp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is presented by your host, John Biggs. It was produced by Rick Barr of Barr 26 Entertainment at ricksvoice.com. It appears every Friday at noon, and we're always looking to talk to interesting people. Tweet at John Biggs if you'd like to join us on the show.